A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 100th Tennis Podcast of 2020, a year in which we've hardly had any tennis, and we've still come up with 100 shows, so I'm quite proud of that. Uh, and uh, just by way of introduction, for those of you who may have only just started listening to the Tennis Podcast during the US Open, my name's David Law. This is Catherine Whittaker. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. And Hello. new listeners that yeah. we're speaking to. <laughs> yeah. Catherine's a, a very fancy TV presenter, by the way, uh, if, you, if you just needed checking. And she's just come back from wearing lots of TV makeup and being in a flashy yeah. studio. Not right now, I'm not. I've chiseled <laughs> off the first three inches of makeup. There are still some remnants. <laughs> yes. If you'd like to know what the pro process looks like, uh, we have posted a picture or three on our uh, social media channels today at Tennis Podcast. If you'd like to know how the TV world works, it was a bit of an eye opener for me, I have to say. It's uh, like Matt uh, Jim Carrey's The Mask. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and how the being a woman world works, David. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning. I'm only 46 nearly 47 um and yeah just just learning all the time um that the voice you just heard was matt roberts who's also a big part of tennis podcast hello matt hello yes and very much not a tv presenter <laughs> no but you know <laughs> there's still time uh right so let's talk about some tennis shall we and let's start with last night because <laughs> this time last night Matt uttered the words, oh, Sitsipas Chorich, Sitsipas will win that. And, you know, I think it will probably be pretty quick. Matt. Thanks, thanks David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a boss throw that was. I mean, look, that, that was... David agreed, by the way. Yeah, that was part of a conversation in which I said, oh, yeah, I mean, that'll be... That, um, you know, that's going to be one-sided for Sitsipas. <laughs> so, Matt, tell us what did happen, because... After Catherine went to bed, I helped you a little bit with the the tennis podcast recording and or editing, and I just saw. I think it was. I think Sitsipas just got the break in the third set, and I thought I'm just going to hang on to see if he holds this, and then I'm going to go to bed at two sets to one, which I did. And then I woke up, 
to Matt's WhatsApp, which said, wait until you read about Sitsipas and Chorich. It is wild. Yes. Tell us more. Yes, I was not expecting to still be up after it was light. I had my breakfast before I went to sleep. Everything was very strange, and that was all because I got caught up and swept up by Chorich's comeback against Sitsapas because Sitsapas got himself to 5-1 up in the fourth set. Chorich held serve, Sitsapas served for it at 5-2, lost serve, had match points at 5-3, two of them, lost them both with errors, had triple match point on his serve at 5-4, made three more <laughs> errors, had advantage on his serve at 5-4, made another error, lost his serve, lost the next two games. Chorich took the fourth set. Sitsapas regained some sense of composure in the fifth set after really spiralling both in terms of his play and his mental stability in that fourth set. He was he was shouting at his dad throughout that fourth set. I mean, maybe we'll come on to that relationship in a minute, but it was quite uncomfortable to watch at times. He did compose himself in the fifth set, went up a break, immediately lost it. The only possible solution to the match was a fifth set tie break it went there two of Sitsipas's first three serves were double faults and Chorich won the tie break and completed the comeback it was it was completely extraordinary and I tweeted that it felt intrusive to watch it because there was nobody watching obviously in the stadium apart from the, the two teams so if you were watching this match you were you were kind of getting a particularly intimate experience, but it felt excruciating and intrusive because it was so difficult to watch Sitsipas go through that. It was it was almost cruel that there was that we were allowed to watch this because it was a it was a choke and an implosion that I've never seen from him before, and it was it was a really tough watch, but also also an intoxicating one. For anyone wondering, Matt reeled all of that off without glancing down at any kind of notes whatsoever. It's like it's indelibly printed on his brain. <laughs> yeah, do you know? Do you know? I, I woke up this morning to a reply to our promotion of that of, of last night's podcast, and the first reply was, "Did you talk about Sitsabas?" To which I had to explain. Well, yeah, we did. It's just uh, out of date mm. and uh, embarrassing <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to which I did have to explain, uh, we can't on this occasion do an emergency podcast because Matt is the only one who saw it and he's just <laughs> gone to bed at 7am and, and, and Catherine and I have woken up at 8.30am without having seen any of it. So we're going to have to wait until, until tonight. So that's why you're hearing about it now. But it was, it's worth the wait to talk about it because there's so much to unpack there, isn't there? And, and starting immediately with Sitsipas's tweet, how long after the match did Sitsipas tweet that this is the funniest and saddest thing that has ever happened in my career. I think literally 10 minutes. He, he'd barely left the court and suddenly, yeah, that tweet popped up on his timeline. I mean, he left the court... Topless. Just, yeah, a, a wreck of a human being. 
are they not allowed to wear shirts <laughs> at this year's US Open unless they're physically playing tennis? <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of a lot of shirtlessness. I am quite enjoying all the sort of pauses when they remember that they have to follow protocol, whether it be in a match when someone's hit a blistering winner and they march their chair, oh, I need to go and pick up my towel. It sort of takes away from that moment and Sitsipas was wandering off the court, oh, I need to put on my mask and it kind of took Not my away, shirt, my mask. Yeah, it kind of took away slightly from his sort of quite yeah. dramatic exit. Yeah, the nipples can remain exposed <laughs> but not the nose and mouth. <laughs> Move it on, David. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I will. Uh, so he didn't do a press conference, some reading. I'm not quite sure why. Neither oh. player did one. I'm not sure why. <laughs> How extraordinary. I mean, it was it was about two in the morning local time, let alone everywhere else in Europe, uh, where it was 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not really sure as to the reasons for that. Uh, I, I mean, a quick word on Borna Chorich. How the, how on earth did he do that, Matt? I mean, was it? I mean, it sounds like the choke of all chokes, really. But that also feels a little unfair to Chorich. Mm. What what's what's your feeling on it? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a definite choke from Sitsipas. But other than those moments, the quality remained very high for the match, and Chorich certainly played a very good match. And what I thought he did was make it a bit personal. Once he realised there was a chance of a comeback, he, he started fist-pumping in Sitsipas's direction a little bit and getting in his face. And I don't really think of Chorich as that kind of person, but I think he sensed there was an opportunity and that Sitsipas was not particularly stable. And he's, a, he's an incredibly consistent player from the back of the court when he's playing well. When he's, when he's off, his forehand sprays all over the place, but... This was the best I've seen him play since the 2018 season, which was when he beat Federer in Halle in Shanghai and helped Croatia win the Davis Cup and looked like he was on the verge of a bit of a breakthrough, really, or another breakthrough after his initial one a few years before that. Um, and yeah, he was he was really great. And it's a, it's taken a while for him to get to this stage because I remember speaking to him in Australia at the start of the year when he said, he said that he goes on the court expecting to play badly at the moment, which was the which was how low his confidence was. I mean, that is that's as low as confidence can get, I think. And it's taken him quite a while to to rebuild it. And this was this was it being rebuilt. I think he looked he looked like a different man when he was mounting that comeback. I remember talking to you about that um, press conference of his that you went to in Australia and being really affected. By it actually I mean I'm not sure he's used this word but it it sounds to me like he's gone through periods of, of depression over the past few months or certainly something akin to it um, you know the the no joy no joy in the game to think of this this kid that was so ahead of the curve you know he was getting wins over big four players before any of the sort of official next gen emerged before the words next gen had ever been thought of let alone uttered he was you know one of the original 
well, he was one of the the catalysts for the for the conception of the next gen, and then he sort of faded from its lineup and faded from the conversation somewhat. Um, and I think he's been quite affected by that. I think I actually think there are some personality similarities between him and Sitsipas. I don't think they necessarily fit into the mm-hmm. the laddish tall culture. I think they they keep themselves themselves a little bit, maybe a bit introverted, quite thoughtful people. I think Chorich probably keeps a slightly better balance <laughs> than Sitsipas, who I imagine is just rocking back and forth in a dark room somewhere at the moment. Um, but yeah, if I, I, I'm chuffed for him, born in Chorich, but uh, I I worry for Sitsipas because we know he takes defeats hard. I mean, it was after the French Open last year um, that match that he lost to Vavrinka, which was not a choke at all. It was just a sensational match where a player had to win. Um, he said he didn't leave his bedroom for 10 days or something. Um, you saw him go off into the, yeah. into the night, didn't you? Uh, oh, well, it's sort of the into hotel. the day. Yeah, he was wearing a shirt. Um, well, he was sort and of a, wearing, sort of wearing pajamas. Actually, and a, and, a, and a backpack, yeah. yeah. That was weird. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 do, I do worry about the effect that this could have on him, not, not in some sort of existential crisis as such, but more just how it may affect his career. Because this sort of loss does give you a, a real trauma, I think, and, and uh, at least it can do. And, and I, I can't imagine that... Until he wins a big match where he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think that that completely banishes it. I think it's going to stay there. I think he's got to do it multiple times now. He's got to close out big matches multiple times if he's going to get rid of this from his mind. That's at least what logic would tell me anyway, or at least my, my logic would. Maybe he works differently. Maybe I think there are some players who maybe are able to, to put things away in a box but for him to be that affected on the court of all the people i would not have expected this to happen mm. to him i the, really wouldn't there is absolutely no empirical evidence to suggest that sit to pass is a put things away in a box kind of guy no none no. he's but, a but, he's do, a let's dwell on this <laughs> as long as possible do, do you agree and with if me, possible though? have an existential crisis kind if, of guy if somebody had said to you that a player is going to lose six match points and, and, and lose a match from serving for the match 40 love up. I really wouldn't have put him in that bracket because I think he's no. found the foundations of his game are so solid. His physicality doesn't let him down. He was dumping shots in the net. He was shanking. And I really, I really don't understand that. Was it Matt? Did you coin the term shankathon on our Twitter? Didn't I say he got the shanks? Oh, did I just coin I the term shankathon? Did, yeah. I think oh. in a moment of inspiration that we witnessed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, that's the thing. He wasn't just missing slightly; he was missing dramatically. And I agree with you, David. Sitsipas is a is a player who. I think has self-belief in his game and trusts himself. And I, and I don't associate those sort of players necessarily with 
choking. No, I mean, he, he, he never, he always seems more secure than Zverev, for instance. I never think that, oh, we're going to get, we could get 12 double faults in a minute here, you know, or, or that Mm. something will just break down dramatically. Mm. It took, it took, as you said, Catherine, it took Vavrinka at his peak to find a way past him that day. And, and you mentioned Zverev. That's, that's an interesting point of discussion. I mean, obviously we know Zverev has had a Grand Slam problem. That's been well documented. Do we need to now think that Tsitsipas has a little bit of a Grand Slam problem? Okay, his breakthrough came at a slam, which I think is maybe why why we haven't thought of it so far, because he did have that moment. He beat Federer, he got to the semi-finals. But since then, or certainly since that loss to Wawrinka, his Grand Slam record is subpar for a player of his quality um this is the first time i've thought that mm. Mm. and i think i think greg rosetsky said on on the prime coverage today that outside of the australian open he's only beaten a top 50 player at a slam once which Whoa. which is a really alarming record so if we're having that conversation about zverev which we are Mm. We we probably should be having it about Sitsipas as well. Greg thinks he Greg kind of come down comes down in the middle of the raging, mostly on social media argument about whether he should sack his dad, uh, not from being his dad, but from being his his coach. Um, Greg thinks that he needs to bring in another voice that keep your dad there. I mean, I don't think Apostolos is going. I think even if Stefanos told him to go somewhere, I think Apostolos probably wouldn't listen. But keep keep him there, keep him around, absolutely have him there. But you need another voice, um, which sounds entirely logical to me, except that there's no point in bringing in another voice if they're either not going to be listened to or not going to be allowed to properly express their opinion. I I don't know whether this is true, but I have heard rumblings about Shapovalov that the reason coaching relationships kind of rarely work out or have an impact is because basically his his mother is his coach. Um, Mm. And and she, no matter who's brought on board, their their voice is drowned out or or guided. Um, And look, I'm not insulting that necessarily. She's done a good job. He's a good player. But in pretty kind of negates the negates the point of bringing in that extra voice. So is, is usually no longer there. Know. He, I believe, he is still involved, but he is not in New York, whereas right. his 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 mum is. It, sorry, okay. yeah, his mum is. I, yeah. I don't I don't know who who Sitsipas, what sort of character would work as a coach in that environment. But I'm not. I don't really know. I can't, nobody really springs obviously well, to mind. He, for me. I have no idea what uh, he would be like as a coach. Obviously, he's had the relationship with Svitolina, but I know he's very close to Marcus Bagdatis, um, and they've talked about the possibility of a, a coaching relationship in the past, whether that would be formal or informal, I, I don't know. But I think with Sitsipas, it would have to be somebody that he has some kind of emotional and... I don't want to sound too pompous about it, but, you know, thinking about how Sitsipas would put it, some sort of philosophical connection to. I can't imagine him having a, you know, the sort of relationship that it's reported that Maria Sharapova and Thomas Hogstead had, which was outside of 
the confines of the court. We do not hang out and chat. We don't talk about life, chew the fat, whatever. Sitsipas needs somebody that will, you know, listen to him pour his heart out <laughs> for dinner about his 21-year-old life problems and, you know, all the well, rest of it. Anybody who heard the interview we did with Baghdatis at the end of last year will be uplifted i'm sure and i i can't i i just came away from that so happy talking to him so i i, I can't imagine that he would be anything other than a good influence as a person um i think the i think the thing with sitsapas though is that this situation that he's got with his father and actually his his family more generally kind of being so involved in his career is that has been bubbling away as a potential problem for a little while now. I mean, it was only, it was the ATP Cup when it really blew up. And then I can't remember where it was, but there was a press conference where his mum came to sit in on it the day after Sitsapas. was weird. The day after Sitsapas had said that he thought they were too involved. I, there's definitely a... There's definitely a little bit of a problem there, I think. Even if you go back to Paris last year, the French Open, that match against Vavrinka, there was... There were outbursts. In oh, that, that you're like a you ghost, just... isn't that yeah. what he said? Um, it was I've, all a bit too raw. I had forgotten about his mum going to that press conference and asking a question. God, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't feel like it did him many favours that one. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm sure. Sitsipas will sort it out because he's that good. I mean, I, I mean, I've made a total fool of myself. I had him in my semi-finals, and I thought he could be a real threat to Djokovic, and he's not. He's not even getting anywhere near that. Um, but I believe in him. I believe in what he is as an athlete and as a player. But but crikey, this result, logically at least to me, is a really tough one to get over. So we'll see. We'll see whether uh, it may it may do him a lot of good that he's got another Grand Slam to thrust himself straight into uh, and get on the clay and build his way back up. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. The biggest story of the day today is the match that we saw between Serena Williams and Sloane Stephens, and it was one that you really built up to on Prime Video in your coverage today, Catherine, and, and quite rightly, and, uh, and I found it absolutely fascinating to watch as a spectacle. Didn't see the whole match uh, from start to finish, I was, but I had it on throughout while I was going about my various uh, business with my kids and cooking the dinner and all the rest of it, but I was... I was trying to work out the turning point because Stevens took the first set 6-2 and it was close early on, at least in the second set, or you know, and then it suddenly turned around and I couldn't really work out from the, the, the passing viewing that I was doing what had turned, what had changed. Either of you really worked that out? I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm not sure there was... A moment. No, there wasn't. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, it just sort of, just sort of the natural break of the set, as is sort of so often the case because of the beauty of tennis's scoring system. It just, <laughs> it provided an opportunity for for Serena to regroup, 
I mean, all the cliches. I mean, her ser- her serve picked up I was going to say her serve was the big difference in sets two and three to set one for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think she, I think she physically, warm, I think losing that first set the way she did loosened her up. I mean, she looked sluggish, sluggish in the opening set and Sloane Stevens looks so smooth, you know, as she does when she's playing the way she can. So smooth. And you just, I, I think Serena, as anyone playing Sloane Stevens can, was made to look sluggish because you just don't, you can't pick which way Sloane Stevens is going to hit the ball. You seem to always be made to be on the run for her. It seems almost impossible to anticipate, no matter how good an anticipator or reader of the game you are, it seems impossible to anticipate Sloane Stevens. Um, and she always seems to have so much time and she's so efficient with her with her movement when she's on. Um, and she did sort of physically fade in that regard, whereas Serena grew into the match, which I th- I think is really significant for Serena. Actually, I think I think actually as much as it was important that she finally got a couple of straight sets wins in her opening two matches, I think it's just as important that this one was three sets. And she won anyway. I am concerned for Serena and the scar tissue of losing close matches. Um, I'm, I think that could be a factor in, in the next round when she faces Sakari again or Sakari. Some debate at Prime Towers about the uh, accurate pronunciation of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think actually today's result and scoreline was kind of the dream for Serena actually. I, I was really concerned on her behalf early in that second set. She seemed to be late on balls. And that's, I mean, it seemed to me mainly because of Stevens. Stevens being so f- fleet-footed and powerful and reactive. You know, she's so talented. She just, she almost, she just looked younger and better than Serena, really, for a set and a bit. And... Then, as you say, that serve is such an equaliser, isn't it, for a start? And, and yeah, Sloane Stevens, from the reactions that I was getting, because I just asked on Twitter, where's the turnaround here? I just wanted a bit of a consensus because I, I couldn't follow it closely enough. And most, quite a lot of people did think that Sloane Stevens went to walk about a bit um, for a while in that second set. Uh, and I think it's a, a huge win for, for Williams. Really massive win. I mean, obviously it's a big win because... You don't win, you're not going to win the tournament. But the but the context of it, as you say, digging herself out of a hole. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a massive, massive win. I was also impressed by just how calm Serena stayed. Because uh, a lot of the talk around Serena at the moment is that she gets stressed in Grand Slam matches. I would, I would slightly row back on that. And I think she's got stressed in Grand Slam finals for sure. I'm not always sure she's been stressed getting there quite so much. There's definitely been a difference when she's got there. Maybe the Chong Wong match in Australia would be, would be an example where she did get stressed early on in the tournament, but she was incredibly calm today. And I think that was, that was quite a positive sign. And it, it did make for a slightly strange match. I must say, I didn't, I didn't find it completely compelling like I normally would with Serena. Like for me, Serena on the brink in a Grand Slam is about as compelling as sport gets usually because you see her have to 
dig deep and fight. But I'm sure she was fighting and overturning the match because obviously she did, but she didn't have to ex- kind of externalize any of that. It was all it was all from within, and maybe that in itself is a is a positive sign that she's able to that she's able to turn a match around while also staying measured and calm. I also think it's doing her the world of good to be with her daughter, with her husband as well. But I mean, her daughter there, the moment she won, her daughter was shown. And it was it was wonderful, really, the, the, the look on the kid's face, you know. And uh, I think that that, yeah, that probably keeps her calm and, and inspired at the same time. I th- I've got a really good feeling for Serena after that win. I must say, uh, and as you say, Maria Sakkari next, which is, and she's the player that beat her last week, wasn't it? And it, and she was Serena was winning that match, and then a very close second set tiebreak, and then a really bizarre one-sided third set, which a few people thought Williams kind of tanked uh, towards the end of, which I didn't see at all, but. I, I can't really remember anybody ever saying that about her before. So, the, and uh, and this this looks like a refreshed Williams to me. Um, and just on a, a final note on her uh, and 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 her sister Venus as well. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I do encourage you. Do recommend going and having a read of a New York Times piece by our good friend Christopher Clary. Uh, another good friend of ours, Mary Carrillo, pointed us in its direction. And the, the headline on the piece is, With more black women, US Open shows Serena and Venus's legacy. And just to pick out a couple of lines from this piece, there's a, a quote from Haley Baptiste, 18 years of age, who received a, a, wild card, a wild card, and she said, It's amazing to see so many girls that look like me playing in this tournament in the main draw. And in the tournament, there were 12 American players who were black in the women's tournament. Um, and a parallel is drawn to the 2010 US Open, in which Serena was missing because of injury, and Venus Williams was the only African-American player in the women's singles draw. And uh, 10 years on, there are 12 african-american players in the draw um and that's you know and 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 the players quoted that they all talked about serena and venus and when you see their ages lined up a 40 year old and a 38 year old alongside these 15 and 16 year olds who are gaining entry into this tournament it's just it's just incredible isn't it it's wonderful to see and to see some clear lineage and uh, and evidence that it's made a difference to the wider sport yeah they've stuck around long enough to to be present for their own legacy and not just to be watching it from afar which i hope they are able to enjoy and i do wonder if if that is a is a small part of their motivation for for sticking around you know with every every day they play every time they play a grand slam match there might be another future professional player or a future Grand Slam champion watching them that sees them and thinks, oh, I could do that. That is possible for me. Um, and that must just be the most incredible feeling. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I wonder if that's a motivation. Um, I certainly hope it is and it very, very well could be. 
Um, it's very, it's very uplifting. Absolutely. And I think in that same piece, Francis Tierfo was quoted as saying that 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 is an inspiration for him, and that's part of the reason why he's playing and why he wants to do well. He's, I think, he was the only African American in the draw this year on the men's side. Um, and there was an interesting point made in in the article, which I would encourage people to read about why there's been more in the women's game compared to the men's game. And, and one of the main reasons is that tennis is a tremendous provider of sport for girls compared to boys in America who often, they sort of have more sports to choose when they're younger, whereas tennis provides that pathway. So it's that's that's one of the reasons, obviously, along with the inspirational figures of Serena and Venus. Mm. And, and those those numbers are such a clear illustration um and this doesn't just relate obviously very much relates to race but not just race everything such a clear illustration of why visibility and representation is important because you need to see it to believe that it can be you yeah definitely um also makes me just want to remind listeners that if you haven't already listened to our althea gibson and arthur ash podcasts please do make the time because it's because of people like them that that serena and venus ended up playing the sport ultimately it was althea gibson who who broke the barriers down who she was the trailblazer and was a multiple grand slam champion um and that's what gave gives the opportunity and and her life is something you should hear about and arthur ash well he he needs little introduction but to really hear his story is is something that i mean i kind of want to go back and listen to them and it's not because we (laughs) produce them it's just because the the stories that and i was listening to clips from leslie allen speaking in those shows and this so many contributions there that, that I'm, I mean, I'm really proud that we did those shows. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, go and have a listen to them. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. 
That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, well, we're having a good time tonight, folks, because I'm on my second beer, and anybody that's ever followed this podcast and knows about Two Beers Law knows that that spells trouble. Um, and Catherine has just cracked open her third beer, and she's uh, she's got a proper beer, not not my little bottles. She's uh, doing it the proper way. Uh, so, yeah, we're having a great time. Uh, you're right, Catherine. Yeah, well, they're only cans. They're not oh. pints. Right. Oh, okay. Mislead people. <laughs> And anyway, you're you know you can handle it as opposed to me, <laughs> um, right now. Felix Auger Aliassim has today beaten what's his name again? Corentin <laughs> Corentin Mute, uh, my formerly favourite player in the whole world. Who I was so looking forward to this match against Felix, and it ended up being a bit of a dud in terms of competitiveness but it was absolutely magical in terms of the play of Felix Auger-Aliassime including him hitting a tweener from near the back fence and still recovering in time to hit a passing shot from a drop shot Uh, so that was wonderful from Auger-Aliassime and also Matt and I were particularly taken by something that Mute did what did he do Matt? He hit not one, but two balls out of the stadium. And watching it back, I, it was even better than I thought it was because he, he got the first ball from his pocket and whacked it out the stadium. He requested the second ball from the ball person. Oh, yeah. And then it took one bounce and <laughs> whacked it straight out. The look on the ball person's face was hilarious, as if to say, what was all that about? <laughs> Brilliant. That- that's like a Bagdartis um, racket smash sequence, isn't it? Yes. The, the calculated <laughs> reaching for extra rackets. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was it was and it was so one sided. Um, actually, it was quite quite nice of Felix afterwards to say, "Look, Corentin is actually better than this. <laughs> He's better than what we've just seen for the first two I, sets." There. I hope so. <laughs> Well, this is the guy I was getting so excited about last night. But the the look the the hype train for Felix Auger-Aliassime in the last two days has just gone off the scale. It has left the station, hasn't it? <laughs> the station is so far away. Yeah, uh, and I probably got more enthused by what he said straight after the match than even what I saw on court, because he was asked this incredibly long-winded question by the on-court interviewer which i just thought this is not going to go anywhere this answer because you've you've asked him you've given so much detail in that question and you're asking him about his killer instinct and i thought this kid's just gonna 
bat this back and play a straight bat and not not say anything and it, and it i mean it was a deeply weird question wasn't it because he was talking to him and he said oh you're such a lovely man um so clearly never met this bloke before in his life <laughs> And yet you got the most fantastic answer. So I'm like, like that question didn't deserve that good an answer. (laughs) Well, I'm starting to question myself as a media (laughs) interviewer now, because this guy, in spite of himself, has just managed to uh, get the best answer from Oji Aliasim ever. And and the the quote was this. Felix said, I'm here to impose myself outside the court i'm a pretty kind person but once i step on the court it's the best man that wins only one survives you've got to step it up with that animal and killer instinct now that is a fantastic quote and it also is a quote i was wholly not expecting regardless of the question it just showed to me that that's something he has been actively working on is not being a nice guy who's an incredible athlete, but being a winner. What what is it? Our favourite podcast, Matt. They call they call this stuff in the golf world in no laying up. They call them they call a them killer, a killer rather than a dog. I've never really understood why a dog's a dog, but I understand killer. I, yeah, well, because it, dog dogs are a delight. Yeah, and, and dogs might do a fancy turn or two and look the part, but okay. you know, and be and be lovely is, generally. Is but, this the another podcast equivalent of Fangs? Yes, Catherine. If Mary exactly. Carrillo Fangs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He he he's actively trying to develop his own Fangs, and he's sort of it's almost like positive affirmation. If I say it, I'm going to do it. I think if you ask Quentin Mute, he would confirm that Felix Orgero Lissim has fangs. I mean, the, the the bloke hit a humiliating tweener at him, leading six one five love. <laughs> Those are fangs, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, um, but he was ruthless. He was yeah. merciless. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. His his words match his tennis at the moment, and his tennis is smothering his opponents with his forehand and giving them giving them no time at all i think obviously whenever we see a younger player it's i think it's it's natural to try and draw comparisons and the most obvious one is probably to djokovic in terms of the movement and the and the smoothness of it all and the defensive skills but there's there's safety hardwired into djokovic's game and it's part of what's made him so so strong in tight moments throughout his career, I think. Felix Auger-Aliassim is much more of a risk taker than than I realised he was with that forehand. He's so aggressive with it. Yeah, and, I agree totally. And, and occasionally he will, he will make errors, but when he's not making them... He's such a force. He's just, it's just, he's just on you like a wave, and there's, the, and there's no room to breathe. And it almost becomes a bit Federer-like in that in that respect where it's where it's, it's quick and it's punchy tennis and it's it takes some stopping and at the moment neither Murray nor Mute have had any answers whatsoever uh, you've mentioned you've made uh, Nadal sorry you've made <laughs> Federer <laughs> given my point away you've made Federer and Djokovic comparisons there but for me the better com- the, well the 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 one that springs out to me is Nadal I'm, I've definitely spent too much time with Greg now, 
but uh, yeah, he's, I mean, not just because of the whole fangs on the court, sort of sweet, shy, unassuming guy off it. I suppose that's a very crude, obvious comparison, but, but the forehand is Nadali, the backhand being a bit flatter. Um, the, the, this, these cowboy looking wild risk takey shots that actually have, have more margin, have deceptive margin for error be built into them because of the spin on them. They, they plop in at the last minute. Yeah. I, and the, the competitive instincts, I think, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's not that we're jump. It's not that we're jumping on board the hype train or anything, but we just compared him to Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. <laughs> all rolled into one. He's Sampras, a, anyone? He's a composition Murray. of the three best male players of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I just also take you back about a year and three months to Queens last year? Or yes, yeah, Queens definitely last wasn't Queens year. This, year. this year, David. Yeah, no, I've had two beers, almost two <laughs> two beers, one and a half beers, thanks. Uh, Queens last year, he plays Nick Kyrgios on the second court, and Kyrgios is playing playing very well, but he's behaving abominably towards the end. He is trying. He's. I'm not saying he's trying every trick in the book, but he's. But he's. He is doing. Every, everything that Kyrgios does, he's doing in terms of antics, whether it be trick shots, whether it be aggro on the court and, and losing his temper, falling out of people. And it goes deep into a third set. And I think, you know, it's kind of 7 5 or something like that in the third set for this young, young lad. And he never, he doesn't blink once. He, he Not once does he let Kyrgios get to him. And he beats him, and that that really struck me at the time. Even though I've, I think he lost his way towards the end of last year at times in some, uh, and there have been some matches that I really, I feel a bit quizzical as to how he's lost. That one always sticks with me because it takes such a lot to to, to deal with. And afterwards, Kiri, you you never hear Kyrgios say a bad word about him. He loves him, and and how could you not? How, what's to what's to not like? about this guy he's a he's a great kid and he's just a, an incredible athlete well it's he might not have a belly button <laughs> that one again <laughs> indeed he he said today in his press conference something i found interesting which was that for the last last year or so he thinks he might have been slightly getting ahead of himself and looking further ahead in draws rather than just playing the opponent i i don't associate that with him i've always thought he probably was quite sort of grounded and measured and as you said that kind of comparison to nadal taking everyone completely seriously and i'm, I'm not saying that he wasn't taking them seriously but i think he thought that the results that the bigger results might come even slightly faster than they have i mean that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say because he is still so young but he was talked about from really, really young. We've known about Felix Auger-Aliassime for a long time. And he said he has had to slightly adjust his mindset and realise that he still needs he still needs to win these matches to get to the bigger matches. It's, it's not just going to happen. And and I think that's I think there's a shift in both mindset and also the way he's playing now against these opponents who he's better than. And he's going out there and he's trying to crush them. And that is kind of borne out in what he's said there about that killer instinct mm. 
Yeah. Um, is he a contender for this title as we stand now? I know. I mean, look, I didn't have him in my quarterfinals. Uh, I'll admit that. Um, but as we stand here right now, could he win it? It kind of feels like there's one contender. That's the problem. I think he's got. Yeah, I think take Djokovic out of the equation, and yes. Um, and I would almost apply that to every everybody else in, in, in that would be a potential contender. I yeah. think you've got Djokovic, and then I would say Medvedev and team. Yeah, and then and then maybe Felix. Mm. And actually, he's due to play team if team can beat Chilich tonight. As we s- record right now, it's 2.26 in the morning here in the UK. And at the moment, we've got an absolute barnstormer of a match between Ons Jabeur and Sophia Kenin, which is a match we were all looking forward to. And, and Jabeur was leading by a break, and now it's level up at five games all. It's everything he wished it would be. Um, and... After this, it's team against Chilich. So we'll 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 update you on it all uh, tomorrow as to what we've what we've learned, what we've what we've seen, and what's happened, and what that lineup will look like. Um, you mentioned Francis Tiafo earlier. Wanted to mention his straight sets win over Martin Fuchovic, which is a fantastic win because Tiafo has been treading water really for quite a while, and uh, and this is a real burst of form isn't it i think he's so he's into the fourth round now is that right yes fourth round and i i think he'd i think he'd never beaten fuchovic before yeah two, two and oh head to head yeah fuchovic's favor yeah and he and he went out and yeah crushed him in straight sets and I, I didn't see a lot of that match but from from what i read and what i heard people were saying it was it was some of the best tennis TFO's ever played, and that is, wow. and that I mean, is very The score would suggest that, mm. yeah. Um, Vasek Pospisil, a surprise winner over Roberto Bautista Agut. Uh, that's a very, very good win. Was that, that was in five, wasn't it, or four? Yeah, five sets, two sets to one down against Bautista Agut. Mm. And he, he looked like he was having a power outage, Vasek Pospisil, and it looked like Bautista Agut had him exactly where he wanted him, you know, drawing him into long rallies and kind of sucking the life out of him. And then suddenly he appeared to get a second win, Pospisil, and was was pro- probably the best tennis I watched all day, to be honest, was Pospisil in those last couple of sets, just hitting winners from all parts of the court. And um, he's got he's got a game that he can impose when he plays well and get forward and come to the net. And he's he's a man who's quite difficult to stop when he gets on a roll as well. Mm. Yeah, the fa- the fast court suits him. It's funny that the the Canadian men are having such an amazing week, mm. and Milos Raonic isn't involved. <laughs> yeah, after last yeah. week, it's yeah, it's, no one would have thought that. If you'd said if you'd said Canada, if you said before the U.S. Open, Canada, just to tip you off in the predictions, Canada are going to have a good tournament. You'd have gone, all right, okay, gonna gonna put Raonic <laughs> in my final or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Vask Pospisil now faces Alex Dimonor, who, uh, I mean, that that could be a really entertaining mm. match, clash of styles and all the rest of it. Um, and Dimonor won today also in five sets, but didn't he, he had, he had a love six, four six scoreline against him in the second and third sets against Karen Hachinov. Yeah, it was really bizarre, just two sets where he completely checked out and he and he he came into his press conference and the first thing he said is I'd like to apologize I thought he was going to apologize for his mustache 
but <laughs> but he didn't and and he apologized for his attitude he he was he was really annoyed with himself that he had kind of checked out smashed his racket disappointed that he you know he doesn't he, he holds himself to better standards than that i think de Menor. and um kind of credit to him that he did manage to come back and win in five haction of I find underwhelming. quite underwhelming. I must say, I'm I'm slightly bemused by by his by what he's trying to do on the court. He's such a big guy with a big game, and he doesn't impose himself. That seems to be the theme of this podcast: trying to impose yourself. Well, Hakshinov really doesn't, and Dimonor at points felt like he was out hitting him, and I mean that really shouldn't be happening. I mean, Dimonor, I, I like Dimonor; he's a good player, but. Hakshinov's got weapons, but he's unable to deploy them. I don't think the slightly quicker court helped him. I think he likes it to bounce so he can kind of goes into his hitting range a bit more. But yeah, he's he's another one who has not had the Grand Slam results that, that you would expect. Hmm. Uh, Tiafa, by the way, plays against Daniel Medvedev, who was also a straight sets winner over the man with the mullet uh, today. And... Uh, <laughs> Andre Rublev, what was his name again? T T J J Wolf. J J Wolf. Him, yeah. John Jer- John Jeremy or Jeremy no, it's, it's, John. Isn't it Jeffrey John? Jeffrey who, John. Who, when you say that, Sorry. he sounds like my granddad. And when it's J J Wolf, he sounds like I don't know the school bully, baby or something. brother. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did hear from Leon Smith on Five Live today saying that not only did he have a mullet like Andre Agassi from the early 90s, he also has a backhand quite reminiscent of Agassi. So uh, I'll be looking out oh, for that in the future. Didn't do much good today. Well, no, straight sets. Medvedev uh, is very good. Yeah. Andre Rublev, also a very comfortable winner. Uh, and in the women's draw, Svetlana Peronkova's run goes on. She beat uh, Donna Vekic. Elise Mertens beat Katie McNally, and I watched a little bit of that where McNally was serving for the first set and didn't quite get the job done, and then it turned. The, uh, there's still little, there's still little strides strides forward for McNally, though. Yes, again, she hasn't. Ha- I suppose you could describe her three set loss to Serena here last year as her moment, but you know she hasn't had that huge breakthrough moment or result. But it's just strides little steps and mm. you know i'm excited about where they might lead her she's yeah. a really cool player talking of strides carolina mukova went through today against the woman that beat johanna conta serona castella but it was so close so much closer than again than i would have expected castella very very nearly won and it was a final set tie break uh she had a match point castella she had three in, did she have three? Mm. Yeah. The, the she, one I, I saw. I think three back to back, yeah. Oh, crikey. I mean, the one I saw <laughs> was Mukova coming in and playing a backhand volley away. And it was just the sort of tennis that I kind of wanted to get on my feet and give her a round of applause for mm. because of the, the construction of a point like that ending with a volley at the net, not just a sort of random put away, but a properly constructed, my intention is to get to the net in order to win this point. She's, um, she's great, Mukova. If they hadn't, you know, if the old pandemic hadn't happened and the rankings hadn't been shot to hell, she could have been in the end of year top 10. <laughs> is she in the mix? 
Yeah. Who of the last 16 in the women's is not in the mix? I would say Mukova's not in the mix because I think Victoria Azarenka will probably beat her in the next round. I think she yep. needs to beat Azarenka to get in the mix, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, if I she mean, does I, that, I she might is. agree with you. Because Merton, her, her quarter-final opponent would be Merton's or the winner of Kenan and Jabert. Okay, so who's not? who else is not in the mix of the 16? Peronkova not I'm in not the mix. Putting, I'm not putting Mertens, Peronkova, Cornet. You don't think Mertens? You, you would be surprised if she reached the final. Mertens, yeah, I would. Yeah, I okay. would. I think Mertens is one of those players who tends to come a bit unstuck when she plays someone who is better than her. That sounds like a weird sentence yeah. to say, but she, she hasn't really. <laughs> There's had, a ceiling. She hasn't had there many is... really big wins, Mertens. She, she, she doesn't off- have that super auxiliary gear to go to yeah she sort of yeah. takes she advantage she reaches her seeding yeah. you know she, she's, yeah. she's a very very good player but, but she's yeah Sakari Sakari in the mix no not until she's beaten Serena agreed okay. I don't think yeah. Putin Savers in the mix or no, Petra Martic or Martic no so I think Kerber they play Brady. against each other yeah. Kerber's absolutely in it Brady <laughs> Brady's an outsider, but Brady's not going to beat Kerber, in my opinion. Um, Even though she's is... the favourite with the bookies, apparently, which is are... absurd. David and I had some collaborative uh, dialogue <laughs> about this on WhatsApp earlier. <laughs> well, what, what do you th- do? You think Brady should be should be favoured to beat Kerber? No, but what I uh, look, I've picked Kerber to win that match. And the, the, there's not that much of a disparity in the odds between them, and I, so I think it is a close match. And I think, and I think, you know, odds aren't the same as predictions. Yeah, we don't like. And odds. they're not the same <laughs> as feelings. Anyway, yeah. moving on. And she hurt my co- feelings. Let's collaboratively dialogue about something else. <laughs> Andy Roddick collaboratively always disagree. Says... So agree to disagree collaboratively. <laughs> Okay. Um, what does Andy Roddick say? Settle the argument, Matt. Well, it's only going to... Dialogue, it, sorry, dialogue. <laughs> it's only going to further the dialogue. He always says form and confidence over experience. Yeah, I mean, the the completely facetious point that I was going to make to you on WhatsApp, but I didn't want to poke the already angry bear, was, <laughs> was you know, would you, you would just repeatedly making the point that you know it's insulting to to Kerber who's won Grand Slams I was going to say would you pick uh, Martina Navratilova over Jennifer Brady and I thought I started typing and I thought that is annoying (laughs) it's also silly that is annoying but you know I was going to say it is the logical extension (laughs) of the point you were making I was going to say would you pick Marin Cilic over Dominic Team? and then I remembered that you did do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes i did yes i did did you Sophia really Kenin, Sophia Kenin, by the way has just somehow managed to win that set against jabir seven four on the tie break oh, what a woman she is she's so she's, cool she's in the mix yeah if jabir wins sure. this is she in the mix i would say no still um uh, yeah no i i just i love watching on jabir i don't see her in grand slam mixes and I hope that I hope I'm wrong. Ever, I really you're hope ruling I'm wrong. her out of every mix. As things stand, I don't see her in a Grand Slam mi- mix in my lifetime. <laughs> lifetime. 
However, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. So, 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 so there's that. Um, <laughs> right, you, right. you are, you are damning this week. He, he, he might not be as good a player as he brother as his brother, but he is in the draw. <laughs> I, look, I love Onsuera. I, I would pay to watch her play ahead of so many. Grand Slam champions, but no, not I, in I this think, lifetime. I, th- yes. I think she'll keep running into Sophia Kennan and her ilk, mm. uh, and it all and it all end. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> on a final on a final discussion note, I think we better just talk about Kiki Mladenovic and Tamea Babosh, who have been thrown out of the doubles tournament, uh, have been told that they c- couldn't play today. And I still don't completely understand what the difference between them and Adrian Manorino yesterday was. So, Catherine, can you explain? I think today's dialogue was less collaborative. Um, So what it seems to be to me, and I I look to Matt for, for backup and guidance here, is that the player hotels, both of them, are in Nassau County. Um, which is under a different jurisdiction to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre and the tournament, which is in the city of New York. So the USTA have reached an agreement with the city of New York with the help of Governor Andrew Cuomo to to have these protocols and regulations in place for the players that are sort of separate Two, they're a little enclave of the existing state and uh, the existing city protocols for coronavirus. And they apply at the Billy Jinking National Tennis Centre. Um, and Nassau County, in the last 48 hours, have introduced new, uh, have issued a new edict about people that have been in close contact with those that have tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, dictating that they have to entirely quarantine for, I think, 14 days. Um, and that would include Kiki Mladenovic, Kirsten Flipkins, the, the Benoit pair 11, if you will. I believe nobody has explicitly said this, but the implication, therefore, is that the sole difference between Adrian Manorino's situation and Kiki Medenovic's situation today is that at the time that people were <laughs> registering this slight shift in the situation, Adrian Manorino was already on site at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre, whereas Christina Medenovic was still at the hotel in Nassau County. It raises the question for me, what would have happened if Adrian Manorino had won his match yesterday? Would he have had to stay <laughs> and live at the tennis centre in order to be able to play his next match? I mean, I'm sort of, I know it sounds silly, but sort of genuinely. Well, Ellen if, Ellen Perez, who's a doubles player and seems to be some kind of spokeswoman for lower ranked tennis players, certainly on Twitter, she often uses her platform to talk about ongoing issues and and she said that she understood that if Manorino had won and gone back to 
the hotel, he would have to have been also withdrawn from the tournament. So I think we can read into that 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 the only way for Manorino to stay in the tournament, yeah, probably would have been staying on site throughout the duration that he was left in, which is a an, wow. an, a, an absurd situation, really. But yeah. obviously, obviously they are rightfully dictated by the health policies of the various areas. It's quite, it's quite hard to get your head around, isn't it, that we're in this situation? I mean, I suppose that applies to so many aspects of the pandemic. And, and to be fair, I think the USTA have, have thought of so many things and done an incredible job to get this thing staged. But that one feels really uncomfortable now. I think they didn't have a choice about the decision today and of the last 24 hours, but I think where this kind of all started was when they allowed the pair 11 to play. I think I think by making that concession, they they did make it a lot more complicated. And, and I know some people are praising that decision because people did get to play the tournament. And but there there has been an awful lot of fallout in the last few days and it, and it all stems I think from that decision if those players had simply been withdrawn in the same way that Guido Pella had yes that is still difficult on them but I think I think they would have avoided these these knock-on issues yeah it muddied the waters and created a situation which was ripe for <laughs> this sort of drama and the inconsistency that we've we've landed up with i have no issue with strict protocols whatsoever i i believe in them and i have very little time for tennis players or anybody objecting to them or complaining about them um because a they knew what they were signing up for and b this is the world that we're living in the world that everybody else is living in i i do though have a lot more sympathy with lack of consistency of of rule application um, and and that seems to be where we've up, we ended up. Albeit the USDA had no say in what happened to Mladenovic today, as as you've made the point, Matt. They've they've sort of tied their hands behind their their backs a little bit. And I'm, you know, I I I'm sympathetic. It's they de- by and large they've they've done really well, um, but that was potentially a a bit of a slip. Um, but goodness me, I, I, I'm very surprised that Mladenovic didn't do an Instagram live today. I was just I waiting for the notification. I don't think we've heard the last of her. I think she's got to spend about <laughs> the next 10 days in that hotel room. Well, there's so. now an issue with them not being able to get to Rome, isn't there? Right, and, of course. And qu- yeah. qualifying for Rome is... Uh, begins next week end of next week um so i think kirsten flipkins would be playing qualifying for rome as it stands at the moment she i don't think she would be able to get there in time i mean this isn't going away basically this is going to rumble on and there will be more repercussions and these tennis players are now locked in a room with internet and devices so yeah it's, it's not going away I've just been thinking about how many giant jumbo chocolate chip cookies I would get through if I had to live on site at Flushing Meadows. 
be a lot. Well, I mean, well, no, hang on. He he wasn't seeded, so he wouldn't have a... Somebody would he have donated... He was seeded. He's 32, oh. 32nd seed. So he would have had a suite. He'd have just needed a, uh, a blow-up bed. Yeah. Those are quite good. Those those suites are decked out. Yeah. So it's it's fine, Adrian. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, you lost. But anyway, uh, right. Well, there's another tennis podcast in the books um, for another day. Uh, let's just have a very quick look at the order of play for tomorrow. What day is it tomorrow? It's Sunday. And it all starts with... A slightly bizarre selection on Arthur Ashe Stadium. First up of Yulia Putin-Saver against Petra Martic, which I'm sure will be a good match. But why that's got the stage over Angelique Kerber against Jennifer Brady, I don't really understand. Maybe because Martic is the eighth seed, but uh, it, I'm, a, I'm surprised over a former champion. I suspect uh, there's more going on there than it just being the higher seed. Uh, it must be TV preference. Maybe a player has made a request. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Must it's, be it's more to the one, story. Uh, after that, it's Novak Djokovic against Pablo Carina Busta in the evening. Good evening session on, on Arthur Ashe Stadium mm. here. Shapovalov against David Goffin. That is a match I would happily watch. Um, and even more so, Naomi Osaka against Annette Contevate, which uh, I think could be a barnstormer. Could be a yes. late night tomorrow night. Yes. If, if Osaka's fit, I think she wins. Uh, if she's not fit enough, I think Contivate wins. I think Contivate wins. There's my prediction. Right. What do you think, Matt? I'm sticking with Osaka because I yeah, well, have you, her winning the tournament. So You two are all in on Osaka, aren't you? Because you have to be now. We don't hate yeah. David. No. Right. Okay. Well, uh, there's your little highlights of tomorrow's order of play. Uh, We'll be back with another one of these tomorrow night. Catherine will will be presenting on Amazon Prime Video. If you're in the UK, you can watch her wonderful uh, presenting uh, from the pregame show from 3.30pm in the UK tomorrow. With Tim and and Greg tomorrow. Tim and Greg, hooray! Uh, And then we will be back (laughs) with a... New, no, I mean it. I love them. They're great. Uh, and then we'll be back with a new tennis podcast tomorrow night and every single day through week two of the US Open. So leave us a review on iTunes if you're enjoying them. Do tell anybody you know who might want to listen. And we'll speak to you tomorrow. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.